This is Frank Morano on 77 WABC. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. Well, yesterday was a big day in terms of the Supreme Court and in terms of the country. The Supreme Court finally making their voice heard on the issue of vaccine mandates for healthcare workers and the population at large. And we are very, very lucky to not only have one of the finest legal minds that I've ever spoken to, a man who, in addition to having been the youngest superior court judge in the history of New Jersey, has probably logged more hours on cable news than anyone in history. And these days, he is just tearing it up as the host of a terrific podcast called Judging Freedom. Very, very pleased to welcome my friend, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge, it is a thrill to have you on on a day that uh, I'm sure you're very much in demand and uh, your legal expertise has everybody knocking on your door. Frank, I'm happy to be with you, and I've done many interviews today, but this is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Well, you're very kind. Judge, before we get into what the Supreme Court did, you obviously have uh, very strong opinions on a lot of different political issues, but whenever we've spoken on the radio, whenever I've heard you on other shows or seen you on television, you're always able to separate your legal analysis from your political views on a certain subject. I'm curious whether it's the state level, and obviously I know if you're uh, a civil court judge or uh, judging a case involving an assault or something like that, maybe this is less at play. But how often do judges, federal judges, appellate judges, even state court judges, allow their political views to color their decisions rather than the legal, just the facts of the case itself? Oh, boy. Their political views should have nothing whatsoever to do with decisions made on the bench. And if you feel yourself being tugged in that direction, you have to recuse yourself and give up the case. It goes back to the clerk, and the clerk uh, of the court reassigns it uh, to another judge. Uh, I can remember trying uh, cases where I had just an utter disdain, almost a hatred for one of the uh, litigants because of what I had heard about him or her, and I just recuse myself from the case because the litigant is entitled to a judge who is neutral uh, and doesn't have any preconceived notion as to how the case um, should turn out. Now, sometimes you don't know that, and sometimes you may you may not develop this antipathy towards one of the litigants until you're halfway through the case. So by recusing yourself at that point, the, the, the case that's been tried has been wasted and money has been wasted. It's got to start all over again, but your your goal is justice uh, and and fairness. Now, this doesn't happen very much, but you have to be uh, scrupulous in your in your guarding against it. Now, it's certainly it's certainly eager. To, I mean, certainly eager to see how the justices on the Supreme Court uh, allow their political persuasions. Well, to affect- they there's no appeal after them. I mean, we all know what the politics of each of them is. Uh, Justice Robert Jackson, uh, who was FDR, one of FDR's attorney uh, generals and then attorneys general, and then was appointed to the court, famously said, "We're final. Be- we're infallible because we're final. <laughs> we're not final because we're infallible." There's no, there's no appeal from them. So, and, and you know, we're laughing at it. The ethics rules that apply to state and federal judges do not apply to Supreme Court justices. They wrote those rules to exclude themselves. 
So they can be as biased as they want. Question, if one of them is, is super biased, can the other eight excuse the one? Answer, no. They're stuck with their, their colleagues. It's interesting. Uh, Eric Siegel, who you might be familiar with, who's a law professor, I think, at the University of Georgia, he wrote a book called uh, Supreme Myths, while, while, Why the Supreme Court is Not a Court and Its Justices Are Not Judges. And he basically said exactly that, that they're not bound by the same rules that every other court in America is bound by. And it's certainly... Uh, well, I, I disagree with the title. I mean, he, he and I do agree on a number of things. They are a court because the Constitution says they are. <laughs> Uh, but it's not it's not a court the way you know there's no jury and there's no cross-examination and there's no testimony from witnesses this actually came up the other day in the oral argument uh on uh, president biden's two edicts one through the department uh, of labor which uh supposedly affected every employer uh who employs more than 100 employees the other through the department of health and human services which affected every person in the healthcare industry who works in a facility that receives um, uh, federal funds. You know, Justice Sotomayor, during the oral argument, started spewing out numbers and statements that she represented as being factual, and nobody knows where she got them from. That's because there was no trial below. In an ordinary appeal before the Supreme Court, the court that heard the case first, that listened to the witnesses, that examined the documents, that witnessed the cross-examination, that court makes findings of fact, and the Supreme Court is bound by those mm. facts. But because this was an emergent application, there was no time for a trial below. Nobody knows where she got her, uh, her facts from. Was she wrong to do that? In my opinion, yes. Is it unethical? It, it would be unethical in all other courts, mm. but the Supreme Court. Uh, let's talk about what the court did yesterday. The last time we spoke, you predicted almost exactly this, uh, the Supreme Court blocking President Biden's vaccine mandate for U.S. workers, but allowing the mandate for health care workers. Before we get into the soundness or lack of soundness of this decision, explain to folks what exactly the Supreme Court ruled and what the rationale uh, from the majority was in this case. Okay, so there's two cases, as, as I just alluded. Uh, there's an edict issued by Joe Biden, uh, President Biden, through the Department of Labor, through the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, uh, which basically said to all employers of 100 or more people, even though more Americans are employed by employers of 99 or fewer, for some reason they chose uh, 100 or greater. We don't know where they got the number from. But it basically said, if you employ more than, uh, if you employ a hundred or more people, you, the employer, at your expense, must certify that your employees are fully vaccinated, or that they are tested once a week. And we, the Department of Labor, have the right to come onto your private property and examine the health records of your employees. So that's one case. In that case, the Supreme Court ruled by eight to three excuse me, a six to three, that the president, the Department of Labor, the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, does not have the authority to promulgate such a regulation, that Congress didn't give it the authority when it established OSHA, and the president never asked Congress for 
the authority since he's been president for uh, for nearly a year. That was a six to three uh, vote. Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, joined the more traditional five conservatives, uh, the three uh, liberal uh, justices, uh, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan, ferociously dissented. It's the other case, which was heard at the same time and which was ruled upon at the same time, is that, again an edict by President Biden sent over to the Department of Health uh, and Human Services, actually announced by one of the uh, Medicare uh, administrators, basically said all persons in the health care industry anywhere in the United States that is funded by the federal government. Now, Frank, that's almost every single <laughs> physician sure. and, and, and nurse anywhere in the country because the feds have their fingers and their money in every pie, every health care pie in the country. Nevertheless, that, regu- that rule was no exemption, no religious exemption, no uh, exemption uh, for testing. You must be vaccinated, period. That's a five to four decision where Justice uh, Kavanaugh left the conservative group and the chief justice orchestrated this sort of uh, split the baby in half nonsense that he loves to do. Their argument, I'll try and be fair to them now, even though I profoundly disagree with it, their argument is this. The whole purpose of the federal regulation of Medicare and Medicaid and the whole reason for expending Medicare and Medicaid dollars is to assure the health safety and welfare of patients, not employees, not doctors and nurses, but patients. And it is rational for the administrators of all this money, people in the Department of Health and Human Services who actually spend the money, it is rational for them to make sure that everybody in the healthcare industry is healthy so that the patients stay healthy. And so that regulation um, is upheld. So it sounds like had uh, President Trump done what he was telling some people that he was going to do and appointed you to the Supreme Court instead of Justice Kavanaugh, that we would have seen that decision, the health care mandate, the health care vaccine mandate decision go five to four the other way. Well, yes, absolutely, because the, the whole point of this is, and Justice Gorsuch uh, wrote a, a stinging dissent to the a five to four uh, decision upholding the health care mandate. And he basically said, who writes the laws in this land? The Congress writes the laws. Congress never wrote a law saying everybody who receives federal dollars in the health care industry must be vaccinated. And Congress never authorized any bureaucrats to uh, to write any regulation like that. So it's it's unsettling to me because it's inconsistent. And I, I and I I know the brain of John Roberts, the Chief Justice. I guarantee you, he orchestrated this so that the baby was is pretty much split in half. Forgive that uh, sure. Solomonic analogy. Yeah, as the uh, uh, as the father of a, a one month old, whenever judges or judicial analysts talk about splitting babies, uh, uh, little Carmine starts screaming. So uh, I can <laughs> I appreciate the <laughs> I sensitivity. Is asleep at this hour. <laughs> um, but 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 the point is. I think there is some intellectual dishonesty on the part of the Chief Justice and Justice Kavanaugh to have switched sides because the principle is the same. The principle is, as Justice Gorsuch said, 
who writes federal laws, bureaucrats, the president, or the Congress. Now, it's clear as day. A high school sto- social studies student, social studies student knows only Congress writes the laws, not the president and not the bureaucrats. And they enunciated that very clearly in in the the OSHA case and in, in in the um, the the workplace case. How they could change, how two of them could change their minds on the same day with the same principle. <laughs> It's a political compromise. Uh, that it, is, it allows the chief to show that uh, he's got feet in both camps. That's why I asked the question first about politics coloring decisions before asking for your analysis of those two cases. We're talking with Judge Andrew Napolitano. He is the host of a terrific podcast, which you can watch on YouTube. Uh, there's a lot of great content. It's unlike anything else that's on YouTube, at least commentating on legal affairs. It's called Judging Freedom. So, Judge, sometimes I know the Supreme Court will provide a road roadmap to how something that's unconstitutional can become constitutional, given what you said, that uh, government bureaucrats don't have the, poli- the the power to make policy. If Congress, uh, which right now is controlled by one party, if Congress were to vote on a vaccine mandate for workers of 100 employees or more, would that be constitutional in keeping with what the Supreme Court said yesterday? Absolutely not. Because the Supreme Court has ruled that you control your body. You decide uh, what goes in your body. One of the, uh, the dissents written by uh, Justice Thomas reminded this, this is his dissent in the health care case, so he's one of the four in the five to four in that case. He reminds them that, uh, you know, the Obamacare and Medicare and Medicaid are relatively modern, relatively novel efforts on the part of the of the federal government to redistribute wealth but if you go back to the constitution the idea of who is going to manage health safety welfare and morality is very clearly laid out it belongs to the states and not to the federal government mm. uh, let me ask you while i have you on the phone here judge and i appreciate you staying up a little bit later than uh, you probably prefer about <laughs> about this decision to charge members of the oath keepers with a seditious conspiracy uh, what exactly is seditious conspiracy and uh, what do you think of this indictment well I I think the indictment should be dismissed. I think it's an, an extraordinary overreach that uh, Merrick Garland, whom I know and respect, had resisted uh, for months and months and months, and then he finally caved, in in my opinion, to some political elements in the Department of Justice and in the FBI, and decided to sign off on this indictment, which came down today. I mean, the government rarely charges this crime. Sedition is the crime of encouraging people to overthrow the government. It is not the crime of overthrowing the government. It is the crime of encouraging people to overthrow the government. So they're not charged with sedition. They're charged with conspiracy to commit sedition. So we're now two steps away from overthrowing the, uh, overthrowing the government. One would be encouraging people to do it. Another would be planning or plotting to encourage people to do it. They're charged with the latter. A conspiracy is an agreement among two or more people to commit a crime where at least one of the conspirators takes a step in furtherance of the crime. So the crime is encouraging people to overthrow the government. They're not charged with that. They're charged with agreeing 
to to encourage people to overthrow the government. Now, that's what they're charged with. But if you read the indictment, it is clear that either there was an FBI agent in the midst of this group, in mm. the heart and soul of everything the Oath Keepers did, or they totally flipped somebody who was in the heart of what the Oath Keepers did, because the level of detail uh, chronicling their behavior laid out in this indictment is unlike anything I've ever seen. So they obviously had either an undercover agent or somebody who was reporting to the FBI minute by minute, word by word, uh, uh, joke and laugh, and every communication these people had is laid out in that uh, indictment. I don't think the case will ever be tried. I think there'll be uh, some sort of a guilty plea. I mean, th this is a, a crime that carries 20 years in jail. Um, there's only eight of them. There were two or 3,000 people uh, at the Capitol that day. Why they picked uh, – not eight, uh, 11. Why they picked on this group uh, of 11 ah, is because that's the group that was infiltrated by mm. the FBI. Interesting. So, And now we know that with the supposed plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Whitmer that uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the leaders of that supposed plot were either FBI informants or undercover agents themselves. It the sounds whole plot was concocted by the FBI, well, and the people that are, that are the defendants in that case tried to get out of it, and the FBI agents and, and the people that they were handling, so to speak, the, uh, their, their informants, browbeat them into staying uh, on on path. The governor of Michigan was no more in no more danger of being kidnapped uh, by by these people in Michigan than you or I. Well, so it sounds like that might have been the case with January 6th, at least in this small group of Oath Keepers, that uh, these guys engaging in this conspiracy, that this could have been potentially uh, a plot from an FBI informant or even an undercover agent. Did you see the effort by Texas Senator Ted Cruz to cross-examine a high-ranking, I forget her name, female official of the FBI. It just happened yesterday. I did, yeah. Uh, or today. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's dynamite. She couldn't answer those questions. Now, I wish he hadn't let her off the hook, but his questions were superb. Absolutely right on the mark. How many FBI agents were there? I can't tell you. How many FBI agents were encouraging these people? I can't tell you. How many FBI agents were, were being informed as to what was going on minute by minute? I can't tell you. What do you mean you can't tell him? You're under oath. You have an obligation to answer those questions. It, Who knows uh, if we'll ever find out? Uh, well, so I mean, it, This is a terrible part of the, of the deep state. Uh, in the government, they're not transparent. If they're away any, with all kinds of things, if there are any answer to no one, if there are any of those eleven people that were charged that are listening to this program, or any of their attorneys that are listening to this program, keeping in mind what you said that they, these cases would likely not go to trial, would you urge any of these folks to go to trial just so that this evidence has to come out? And because, well, if, if I mean, you know, I I, I I hate the way the system works. Because they're going to sit down, the, the federal prosecutors are going to sit down with their lawyers and say, all right, your client's charged with six counts of sedition or, or conspiracy to commit sedition. Each of these counts carries 20 years. So instead of being exposed to 120 years, if you plead guilty, uh, you'll be out in 10. Now, that kind of an offer yep. is ordinarily accepted, except for the most principled of people who may very well say no. 
I want the whole world to know what the FBI did here. Right. Well, uh, and I'm I, willing to risk the rest of my life in jail in order to expose the FBI. It wouldn't surprise me if one of those people takes that position. Well, it certainly would be interesting to see what a trial, uh, what would come out in one of these trials. Finally, sir, uh, you have been commenting on the situation here in Manhattan where Alvin Bragg, the new DA, uh has said to his staff, don't seek prison terms for a wide variety of offenses. Of offenses. In fact, don't even pro- uh, prosecute anything that's nonviolent. He says, and he's defended this, he's not running away from this by any means, he's saying that this will allow his office and his DAs or ADAs to focus on the real crimes, the most serious crimes. You disagree, even though you've really never been an advocate for over-incarceration or keeping people in prison needlessly. Why do you disagree with the new DA here? Because he shouldn't have announced it. I mean, he 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 is the prosecutorial machine in Manhattan, and he decides how his money and his resources are going to be spent. And if he's made a prudential decision that it's better to go after bank robbers or terrorists or drug dealers uh, instead of low-level crimes, fine, he can make that decision. But you don't tell the whole world, because now he's basically inviting these uh, smash and grab things to occur all all over Manhattan. You you don't announce to the thugs that you're not going to prosecute them. If if you have to allocate resources, which are limited, they're not limitless. They're limited. If you have to allocate resources to a problem that you think is more severe, you do it without announcing where you're taking the resources from. I think he has a political tin ear, but in terms of the the ultimate decision, that's his call. I mean, there's nobody, nothing anybody can do about it. He was just elected. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't throw them out of office. Right. On this platform. Uh, on this platform. Well, I don't. I think for the reasons you're stating, it's no accident that there were multiple carjackings uh, on uh, on Thursday, uh, just as all this stuff is getting covered about how they're not prosecuting any of these crimes. It's very interesting. Judge Napolitano. also made enemies out of the police department, and the police commissioner's only been in her job for two weeks, and already she's taking him on. Yeah. They have to work hand in glove because she, too, has, has limited resources. Judge, it is always a treat to talk with you. I always feel a little bit smarter whenever we get to speak. Thank you for oh, taking the time. You're very kind, Frank. God bless you. You and your family and baby Carmine. A belated Happy New Year to you, and it's a pleasure to be on with you, no matter what time of day we're on. <laughs> Thank you, Judge. The great Judge Andrew Napolitano. Do yourself a favor. If you want to be a little better informed, check out the Judging Freedom podcast on YouTube. You can also follow Judge Knapp on Twitter. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call. One 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll be back right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.